Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, as we continue uh, in just a few moments in prayer, before we do that, I want to call our attention to just a few things in the psalm passage uh, that Lori just read for us. One of the things I love about the Psalms is time and time again, they reveal to us what is the instinctual heart of God, uh, the instinctual heart that we, show up, that we see show up in flesh and blood in the life and person of Jesus. And occasionally within the Psalms, you get stories like the one we get. If you were to continue reading all 32 verses of Psalm 107, it really becomes this poem that is a story. It's a story about four groups of people but the center character in all of this is God. And I love these, but I think it's it's a reminder to us that uh, one of the invitations to us anytime that we sit down to read Holy Scripture is to not only see the instinctual heart of God revealed to us in Jesus, but we're also invited to find ourselves in the story. Uh, Frederick Buechner, who's a favorite author of mine in his book, Telling Secrets, says, the reason why it's so important for you and I to share our stories and to hear one another's stories is because in them we hear echoes of our own. In one another's stories, we hear, we hear echoes of our own, and as we hear those echoes, we are rehumanized. We are told that what we face is both unique to us and also not unique at all. And in them, we meet God. And so, the four groups of people, very quickly, the first is the group in one through nine that we read about this morning, the other three we did not read about. In verses one through nine, we're told that this group of people are ones who are wandering in desert wastelands. They begin to starve. They're going hungry because they cannot find a home. They cannot find a place. They're wanderers. They're looking for something real. They're looking for something substantial, but they cannot find it. And they're not doing anything bad. They haven't done anything wrong. They just simply find themselves in a place of homelessness, in a place of wandering. And so in their wandering, in their trouble, what do they do? They cry out to God. They don't try to solve the problem. They don't try to return to where they were once upon a time. They don't even try to say, hey, we're gonna make the best of this moment. What they do is they cry out for God, they ask for help, and God hears. This is gonna be a theme you see pop up in all four of these groups, that God is the God who hears. But not only the one who hears, God is the God who comes and leads them home. And again, there's no sin, no brokenness that has led them to the place of wandering. It's just hardship. The second group, we're told, in verses 10 through 16, are facing the deepest gloom. They are prisoners in misery, the poet writes. They are prisoners in in misery and in irons. Trouble has entered their life. In the same way mentioned as the first group, but it is actually their sin and their brokenness, the ways in which they have wandered and allowed the riverbanks to become flooded that has enslaved them and captured them. They are chained down, they are caught, and even if they wanted to fix the situation, they are powerless to do so. They're helpless and they're vulnerable. 
Now, I don't know about you, but my instinctual move in these moments is to just go farther in, to give up. But this group of women and men, rather than, cry, rather than give up, they cry out to God and God hears and God comes and God sets them free because it's in the business of God to set people free. Jesus, the very first sermon, public sermon he ever gives in Luke chapter four, in quoting Isaiah, is that I have come to set the captives free. His job is to lead us out of trouble. The third group though, in verse 17, some were sick because of their sinful and broken ways, and because of their iniquities, and because of their iniquities, they endured affliction. They're similar to the second group. And in their distress, because of their sin, because of how trapped they felt, they stop eating. And what happens if you stop eating? They're not talking about intermittent fasting here. They're talking about going for long stretches without any food. And what begins to happen? Your humanity begins to diminish. Your body begins to wear down. But the psalmist tells us in verse 19 what happens. This group comes to their senses. It's the wording that the poet uses. This group in their distress and in their hunger come to their senses. It's the same language that Jesus will later use with the prodigal son. He comes to his senses. And I think for me and maybe for you, there's an invitation here to wake up both to and from our diminishment. Both the diminishment that has been outside of our control and maybe the diminishment that we've given into, that we've embraced. Not as a way of shaming ourselves. That becomes its own form of dehumanization and diminishment of eating the bread that cannot fill. Maybe if we make ourselves feel bad enough, finally I'll stop. And it never works because God hasn't designed reality to work in that way. The way God has designed the world to work is that when we face diminishment and wandering, we don't get ourselves out, but rather we cry for help. And what does God do? God hears and God comes. And to this group, in the second group, he sets that group free, but this third group needs not only freedom, but the psalmist tells us healing. Because for some of us, we just need some freedom. But for many of us, what we need freedom from are the places where we have been deeply wounded. And so we need healing. The fourth group, in verse 23, we're told is not because of sin that they find themselves in trouble, but rather because they got out above their heads. We're told they set sail in these ships and a storm comes upon them and the waves take them up and take them down and take them up and take them down. And they have just, these, these, these are people are sea people. This is where they're supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. And outside of their control, they face chaos. And so there's an up, and there's a down, and there's an up, and there's a down. Anybody relate to this? A few? Okay. 
this, just up and the down and the seasickness and the being thrown to and fro. They took risk, they embraced life, and they got into trouble. A storm is stirred up, they're reeling up and down. And this storm does what almost every storm will do if we give space for it. It allows them to see their need for God. That they had gotten in over their head, but as they come to their senses, what do they do? I'll let you guess. They cry out. And what does God do? He hears them. And he comes. And he rescues. In all three groups, I think we're meant, or all four groups, I think we're meant to see three things. The first is, that troubles come into every life. Regardless of whether you are where you're supposed to be or you're not, you're wandering, you've embraced that which takes away life or you have embraced that which gives life. You have created space for God or you have created no space for God. You have embraced God's embrace of you or as God offers his embrace, you have held him at arm's distance. Wherever you find yourself, trouble comes. But the second thing I think we're invited to see in all four of these groups is that every one of us is invited to call out for God's help. Every one of us, regardless of where we are, is invited to call out for God's help. And the third thing with that is every single one of us has access to that help. And here's how I know these three things are true. Because these three truths had flesh, blood, a Jewish complexion, had a laugh, had a favorite place to walk, had favorite people to be with, had a favorite meal, had a father he lost at a very young age, had a single mom who raised them by herself. He had the eyes of his mom, and he had her laugh. There's no other option, because he didn't have an earthly father. He had friends who were confused about who he was, and even when he revealed it, didn't accept it. He had no home. Not like the foxes, not like the birds. He wanted to heal everyone, and could only heal a few. I know these three things are true because when you look at the person of Jesus, you see not only this embodied in the sense that he is God who has become human, the word made flesh, who has heard and who has come to rescue and to set free, but was also one, right? This is the great juxtaposition of our faith. And there are so many of these that we have to hold in tension. That the one who created all things became created. That the God who hears and comes and rescues had to cry out. Who needed to be rescued. Who needed to be resurrected. And who was. He is the God who comes, who hears, who rescues. The God who cries out, who waits, 
and is resurrected. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.